It's the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. Coming in three, two, one. Wonder is perhaps the defining trait of human nature. For Socrates, an ancient Greek philosopher, he once argued that all of philosophy starts with wonder. For ancient humans and civilizations, and even for those of us today who stare at the sky and see the stars, we wonder. We wonder how many of them are there, how far away, how big, and perhaps whether there is life elsewhere beyond Earth. Wonder is the first step toward knowledge. In the famous 1980 television series and book Cosmos by Carl Sagan, he referred to a universe composed of perhaps hundreds of billions of galaxies and ten billions and trillions of stars. It was a universe of vast, if not infinite, proportions, one rapidly expanding almost beyond our wildest imaginations. He also referenced in such a universe the possibility, if not the probability, of many other Earths or habitable planets with life. He referenced what is called Drake's equation, an equation that assessed the factors and probabilities leading to the likelihood of life elsewhere. Carl Sagan's great contribution was to make mainstream the probability of maybe life elsewhere, but also to make mainstream the thought and the notion that in fact the universe was vast, growing, expansive, way beyond what most of us could think about. Yet this belief in an infinite universe with perhaps many galaxies, solar systems, planets, and perhaps Earths in life elsewhere is only of a recent conceptualization. Maybe it dates back to Carl Sagan 40 years, but more exactly or approximately, it goes back approximately 100 years ago. It is the story of moving from a closed world to an infinite universe, a recognition that we on Earth are not the center of a solar system located in the only galaxy, the Milky Way, that was the sum total of the universe. It is how we've come to recognize the fact in the last hundred years that the Milky Way is one of many galaxies within a larger cosmos or universe, as Carl Sagan described it. How we have come to see ourselves as part of a broader universe is a story that takes place at the beginning of the 20th century, and Andromeda, M31, is central to that story. Take us back to the 19th century. In the 19th century, if we were to talk to cosmologists, if we were to talk to people who were then the astronomers of the time, to the philosophers, perhaps even the theologians, because in many ways all these fields really merge together, there were several assumptions about the universe at that time. 
First, the universe was of modest size and it was of a closed size. And what we mean by that, it was not this infinite cosmos that Carl Sagan described, but of smaller, more defined proportions. And there were limits to the universe. Alexander Correa, a famous philosopher, wrote in his book, From a Closed World to an Infinite Universe, that even as late as the 19th century, we still had these theological overtones from Christianity that defined, that bounded the universe. God had created something that was defined within scopes and parameters. It had a limited history, limited dimensions, limited size. And if so, there of course had to be a center to it. In the 19th century, there was the belief emerging that the Milky Way, the galaxy that we lived in, was the only galaxy in this universe. And that these other things that were seen in the sky that Charles Messier discovered in terms of looking um, through his telescope and finding these patchy things, including Andromeda, were simply perhaps unresolved patches of stars or who knows what, simply connected to the Milky Way. The idea that there was something beyond our galaxy was inconceivable. The story of thinking of how we went from a closed world to an infinite universe perhaps starts back in the 19th, in the late, late 18th, early 19th century. It was the idea of what William Herschel and his sister Carolyn, they're the first who really observed the sky in detail and sketch out a picture circa 1785 of what they think this thing called the Milky Way is. And this is important because maybe we can describe William and Carolyn Herschel um, as the discoverers of the Milky Way. Maybe that's not accurate. Maybe they're the first to conceptualize it. But nonetheless, this idea of the Milky Way being something that we now call a galaxy is, is what William and Carolyn Herschel come up with. But in thinking about the Milky Way, there was also some assumptions that were attached to it. The prevailing assumption in the 19th century, 19th century astronomy, was that M31, Andromeda, was a nebula. It was a nebula attached to the Milky Way galaxy. Maybe it was a cluster of stars, maybe it was gas, maybe it was something else, but it was very close in part of the Milky Way. And the other assumption was that the universe was basically one Milky Way galaxy of a finite size. Everything that we knew was, was this one galaxy, the one galaxy that William and Carolyn Herschel had basically described. However, even though there was this belief of a, of a single universe, single galaxy within it, there were others 
who challenged that belief. The German philosopher Immanuel Kant, as well as uh, Pierre-Simon Laplace, argued that perhaps the Milky Way was but one galaxy within a universe composed of many galaxies. In effect, the Milky Way was an island, an island universe, um, a, a single galaxy located within a broader, larger cosmos of which there perhaps could be what? Maybe other galaxies. They challenged prevailing theory, offering a different cosmology. But nonetheless, even in raising these questions, these probabilities, these possibilities that the universe was broader than the Milky Way, it still brought us back to what is Andromeda. Even late in the 19th century, Andromeda was still seen as a nebula, a bunch of gas. Astronomers were unable to resolve individual stars, even with the best of telescopes, to tell us what Andromeda was. Even when we had good photographic plates demonstrating that classic spiral that we see now, it was still envisioned to be something very close attached to the Milky Way. But something happened in 1885 that started to challenge how people thought about the universe, the Milky Way, and Andromeda. In 1885, suddenly there was a very brightening of, of something in, in an Andromeda nebula. Today, we know that what that happened was called the 1885 S. Andromeda Supernova. It was the sudden flare-up, an explosion of a star, of which it then brightened by thousands of times in terms of the sky. However, how was astronomy going to account for this 1885 supernova? No one knew these things really existed. No one knew um, what, what, a, what this brightening was. The concept of a supernova was unknown in 1885. What did the brightness tell us about distance? Perhaps suddenly brightening meant that it was confirmation that Andromeda was very close to us because something that could get that bright had to be close to us but it still raised all types of questions about, about what this supernova was, where Andromeda was, what it was. Enter Henrietta Leavitt. Henrietta Leavitt is one of the early and important women of astronomy, part of a group of women who are often forgotten as sort of the, the unnamed, the unheralded heroes of astronomy much in the same way that most people have forgotten about Carolyn Herschel um, and how she helped her brother William Herschel with major discoveries. Henrietta Leavitt was forgotten for so long. Miss Leavitt worked at the Harvard College Observatory in the late 19th, early 20th centuries. 
Her job was examining the photographic plates, the recent use of photography attached to telescopes to be able to record the sky. And her job was to examine these photographic plates to determine the brightness of stars. And one of the things that she noticed was how some stars change their brightness or magnitudes over time. But she also noticed something else. She noticed a pattern. These stars would brighten and then dim and then brighten again. There seemed to be a pattern. These were stars that were located um, um, in the Cepheid constellation. And she referred to them as uh, the Cepheid variables. And what became fascinating with Henrietta Leavitt is her discovery and study of these stars uh, had a dramatic impact in terms of astronomy because she noticed that, in fact, there was a relationship between the brightening of the stars and their periods. She looked at these stars, um, especially in the small uh, Magellanic Cloud, and found that she could do a correlation between brightness and periods of dimming and brightening and found that this became a great way to measure the universe. Her relationship between brightness and periods became one of our first what? Candles, one of our first measurements, one of our first accurate ways of being able to chart out distances to these stars based upon calculations of, of, of what she was able to come up with. Her ability, her discovery of brightness and periods, allowing for the measurement of the universe, became tremendously important. Because as they started to now calculate the distance to these stars, these stars that she saw seemed further away than what most astronomers had anticipated. How could they be as far away as they are and still be part of perhaps the Milky Way galaxy? These questions led to a renewed debate regarding the island universe versus one galaxy debate. In the early 20th century, we saw astronomers wondering, is there simply one galaxy, the Milky Way? Or is the Milky Way merely one island in a larger universe? Debates ranged back and forth. And while rarely today does astronomy or astronomical debate reach epic proportions that are covered in newspapers. In 1920, there was the great debate. Herbert Curtis supported the island universe theory that the evidence had to support the idea that, in fact, the Milky Way was but one galaxy in a broader universe. Howard Shapley argued for the one galaxy theory. 
The great debate had the two of them marshalling their evidence together to argue, to make the claim for rival theories of the cosmos. But unfortunately, the great debate was neither great nor a debate. It resolved very little, leaving the question still up. What is Andromeda? How far away is it? Is the cosmos, is the universe composed of more than just the Milky Way? Enter Edwin Hubble. Edwin Hubble becomes one of the most significant philosopher, astronomers, cosmologists of the early 20th century. Hubble, working at the new Mount Wilson Telescope in California, started to study the sky, taking photographs of of the sky. And among the things that he did was to observe a star in Andromeda. In 1923, in a famous photographic plate, he observed a variable star. It was what? One of those variable type of stars that Henrietta Leavitt had examined. And using her calculations, the data that she had constructed, the formula, to be able to calculate the distance to stars based upon the Cepheid variables, Edwin Hubble made a dramatic conclusion. He argued that at that point, that Andromeda was 900,000 light years away. Why was this significant? The argument was that if it was 900,000 light years away, it was clearly too distant, too far away to be part of the Milky Way, given the assumed sizes that the Milky Way had. Additionally, because of that, because of, of that, he was able to argue that M31's brightness is what? Because it was composed of stars. It wasn't just gas. It was about understanding the composition. If in fact, M31 was so far away, if in fact it was composed of other stars, it must be what? It must be another galaxy, one distinct from the Milky Way. And perhaps that supernova, that sudden flaring up of that bright entity in, in M31 back in 1885 was something about a star getting brighter. The implications of Hubble's work in terms of drawing upon Henrietta Leavitt's research was significant. What it did was to establish several important things for modern astronomy. It established the idea that the universe was composed of perhaps not just one, maybe not just two, but perhaps many, many other galaxies. 
that these galaxies too had stars, that these galaxies also, also could be very, very far away. Hubble, building upon Levitt, provided the final smashing of the belief that we lived in a closed world. It opened us up to thinking that what? We lived in more of an infinite universe. And it led to the conclusion that in fact M31 Andromeda was not simply gas or a nebula attached very close to the Milky Way, but Andromeda itself was an actual separate galaxy. Additionally, what Hubble did was to argue by looking at the other galaxies in the sky, these other shapes, these nebula, that perhaps there was an evolutionary process for how over time the, the universe, the stars, the galaxies changed. Now, in many cases, this theory of Hubble's galactic evolution has been refuted, has been challenged. But nonetheless, his theory opened up the idea of a dynamic, growing, expanding universe, one of far greater proportions than ever. Eventually, people such as Albert Einstein would have to try to explain this perhaps expanding universe. Eventually, there would be something called Hubble's constant that would be invoked to try to explain for how the universe was expanding and why. But by the time we get to the 1920s, we come to realize we are but one planet in one solar system, in one galaxy of many. We are, as Carl Sagan said, part of a larger cosmos with billions and billions, if not trillions of stars. Such a larger universe meant that we are not at the center, perhaps as Albert Einstein said, and that perhaps there is no center and that it's all relative. Being able to reach some of these conclusions was made possible by the study of the variable stars and supernova located in Andromeda Galaxy. The question now, having established that Andromeda is a galaxy that is far away, the question now became, how do we explain the expansion of the universe? How do we explain the origin of the universe? This is the subject of the fourth podcast, Andromeda Galaxy and the Big Bang Theory. You are listening to the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast. Cool. 
The 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is produced by the Planetary Science Institute. Audio post production by Richard Drum. Bandwidth donated by Libsyn.com and Wizard Media. You may reproduce and distribute this audio for non-commercial purposes. This show is made possible thanks to the generous donations of people like you. Please consider supporting our show on Patreon.com forward slash 365 Days of Astronomy and get access to bonus content. After 10 years, the 365 Days of Astronomy podcast is entering its second decade of sharing important milestones in space exploration and astronomy discoveries. Join us and share your story. Until tomorrow, goodbye. Goodbye.